0: Well, in today's episode, we are actually going to be bringing back a past guest from a couple seasons ago and talking with John Fox from Vital Consulting. Now, as I mentioned before, John is someone who I connected with through a mutual client of ours in Kentucky, and I've absolutely loved the conversations I've been able to have with him. Today, we are diving headfirst into sales. And, you know, when the podcast first started, the heart behind everything was how do we make it easy for customers to buy from us? There's so much that we in our industry do to complicate the process, and we have to be able to simplify things if we want to give customers a good buying experience. And over time, as the podcast has evolved, we've taken on a lot more with holistically running your business and investing in people. How do you become a good leader? But I'm excited to be going back to the basics and talking about sales, because at the end of the day, this is the bread and butter. And What I have found for most companies is that most companies just don't have any kind of a sales process. There's no direction given to a team member of how do they make a sale? How do they follow up on a sale? When do they know to give up on a lead? For that, what do you even do when a lead calls the store? How do you handle it? And this conversation with John is gonna give you some amazing principles that you can put into place right away. So as we jump into this, you're gonna hear us talking about using a CRM. So CRM stands for Customer Relationship Management. And a CRM, you know, nowadays, it's a software system. 30 years ago, it was a Rolodex. But it's a way to categorize your opportunities and organize your customers based on which stage of the sales pipeline they're at, and then you can plan the best way to follow up and close the sale. Of everything that I talk about when it comes to sales, I believe a CRM is probably the most important. I mean, there's a lot of things that are most important, so don't don't pin me down on this. But the truth is that if your company does not have a CRM that your team is actively using on a daily basis, I'm not joking when I tell you that you can double your sales. I'm not joking. If you start using a CRM documenting who you're talking to and when you make notes about the conversation you make notes about when do I need to follow up with them next what's the upcoming promotion I need to talk to them about you will double your sales straight up because you're going from something that is chaos to something that's organized now I don't know if your install team can keep up with the increased sales but your problem will no longer be a sales problem it will be it will be something else so I'm going to jump out of the way and let you hear this conversation with John. I've got some thoughts on the back end that I want to share with you, and I'll tell you a story as well, but you are going to love this conversation. Get out your pen and paper. I hope you enjoy it. Joining me from Lexington, Kentucky is a return guest to the show. It's John Fox, an EOS implementer out of Lexington, Kentucky. John, how are you doing? doing fantastic. Thanks for having me, Tim. Awesome. I'm, I'm super excited for this conversation. I loved getting to talk with you a couple seasons back about just the processes involved with the EOS system. And today's going to be a conversation about sales specifically, but just in case someone listening has not caught your past episode and they're like, wait a minute, what is EOS? Can you give us a little snapshot of just kind of what it is that you do on a day-to-day basis with companies and, and what is the EOS system?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So EOS stands for the Entrepreneurial Operating System. And it's it's a model that we help leadership teams um, implement into their companies that helps them ultimately with three things we call vision, traction, healthy. So vision from the standpoint of just getting everyone in the business 100% on the same page about who you are as a business, where you're going and what the plan is to get there. Traction, Meaning that we instill discipline and accountability throughout the the organization so that when you look around, people are actually executing on that vision day to day. And then healthy, just meaning that we create healthy, cohesive, open, and honest, functional teams of people who love working together. So, vision, traction, healthy is what we work with leadership teams to create. And the model consists of six key components of your business vision, people, data, issues, process, and traction. And the fundamental belief is that every business has 130 some issues at any given time that they're dealing with. But when you strengthen these six key components of your business, those issues fall into place because they're really symptoms of a root cause. Hmm. So when you strengthen the six key components... You're really getting better. You're getting a better organization because you're solving all of those symptoms. So that's the gist of it. It's a, there's obviously a lot more to it, um, but it the, it consists of practical, simple tools that help you to run your business more
0: effectively. So good. And you know, I, I personally know at least one of the businesses that you do work with, and it's awesome to see just in real time the uh, the effects of what what you're helping them do. In, in our last conversation, we ended it by talking about sales because you you have a lot of background with sales in your previous role and, and also in, in what you do now specifically. And I wanted to, to spend some time today on just like w- what are some of the best practices in general when it comes to sales, but also about the organizational end of it. I think this is something that is just it's hard. The organizational side of sales does not come naturally for most people that like to sell. And I know you're going to bring a ton of value. Would you maybe talk about sales experience that you had in your prior career, and then I want to I want to move into what that looks like for you now.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, this conversation is extremely important, and we we learned this lesson. Uh, me and my previous partner, um, you know, we started a business in 2008. It was a residential. Uh, service business providing high end home technology services and solutions to homeowners and you know the first few years we we really just would wing it you know that that was my philosophy like go just be John Fox and be who I am and go in there and kind of just every situation is different there's nothing that's the same and so just kind of figure it out as you go and we would we would do that. And then finally, we hired a business coach a few years into uh, our our company's history, and the first thing that he did was help us implement a CRM. And the reason he did that was because he saw all of the low hanging fruit. Because what was going on is that we would go with all these clients, we would get phone calls, we'd get emails, we'd have some people who would say yes, let's schedule the project, and some people who would say. I'm not interested or no, not right now or not respond at all. So there was all these different people out there in different scenarios and we were just keeping track of all of it in our head. Yeah. Right. So we had all of this going on and I remember I would lay awake at night, you know, it'd be one in the morning and I'm sitting there thinking about all the things that I might've forgotten, like wondering what I've forgotten that might be important. Yeah. And so when our our business coach came in and started working with us, he literally had us get everything out of our head, put it into put it onto a list, put it into a CRM, track what stage of the process that prospect or client was in, and it gave us extreme clarity. And we started making so much more money just because we were actually following up with people who said no no for now, but may maybe interested later right? So just translating everything out of your head onto into a system was really helpful for us.
0: Well, I think it's so important, especially for our industry now. We're in a spot where there's more demand than there's ever been. There's no supply. And for many people listening to this, at, at this exact moment, they're saying, I don't need more sales. And, and I get that, but that will not last. There will be a time where this thing dries up You know, probably sooner than later, frankly. And, and we need to be able to go out and be proactive but before we get into some of the organization and process so your approach to sales was was very much like my approach for years like when you said well hey I'm John Fox and this is what I do right that was kind of like me you know at at you know 21 22 years old of like oh I'm Tim Reed I know everything about fireplaces there's no process every single one's different I just I'm just going to go be me and you can actually have a moderate amount of success doing that and i think that that's something that for many people listening to this they might feel guilty about you well i don't have these systems and processes and i don't have i don't have a you know, a form a, a formulaic sales process yet it can be easy to feel guilty but i do think that like genuineness passion and honesty that will actually take you very far and and that is what you have to have as a foundation before you start adding in these processes. Is that fair?
1: I would say so. I mean, it also depends on the product that you're selling. So some products require more info, like people need more information than other products. So some products, they're just going to go based on them trusting you, but other products and services, they need a lot more information. So your sales process how much your information you're giving to people at at what time in the process
0: really matters depending on what product and service you're selling. It's so true. You mentioned a CRM and for anyone that's not familiar with that acronym it just stands for customer relationship management and you know a CRM 30 years ago was a Rolodex, right? You you'd keep track of all your customers based on A through Z and you'd have, you know, A through E marked as your callbacks for Monday and F through, you know, whatever M is your callbacks for Tuesday. But today that's available digitally. When when that business coach had you implement a CRM first and foremost, why did it make such a difference?
1: Because it took the guesswork out of following up with our prospects. And so, you know, we we used a system called Zoho and it was really good for what we needed at the time. But the the aha was that okay, we you know, I meet with a client, and I give a proposal and I send the email with the proposal and I don't hear back. And so I follow up if I remember, but if I don't remember, then I don't follow up, right? But in a CRM, after I send the proposal, I go into the CRM, go into that specific opportunity, and I set a task in advance that will come to my email three days later or six days later or 14 days later or whatever makes sense within the context of that deal. And so on that future date, I get an email with my two, three, five, 10 uh, different activities that I need to do that day in order to follow up with all of the people who are in my pipeline who haven't said yes and signed a contract yet. And so then if i if i go to that email and i i check that i followed up i sent another email or i sent a text or i made a phone call following up on that opportunity then i set another task maybe they didn't respond i need to set another task for 5 days or 10 days in advance so that i get another reminder to continue like our business coach basically said follow up until they tell you no yes right and and your your tendency is to say, well, I followed up once and I don't want to be, I don't want to be bothersome. And so they'll call me back when they're ready. Yeah. But the truth is, is that sometimes you have to earn their business and people may be getting quotes from other people, but if you're the one following up consistently, one, you communicate professionalism and two, you're showing them that you want to earn their business. You want to do business with them. Yeah. And sometimes that really matters to the client because the average contractor out there, like even after, after they have the job, they don't get back to you. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So if you can show that you run your business, like a business, it stands out. And so follow-up, even in the sales process says something
0: about your company. I love that. There's so many directions that I want to go, but maybe the, the first one is, I mean I think about in the past when I've hired people in general I don't hire someone unless they follow up with me like in general when someone gives me a resume I don't call them right and I I because I want to see do they want this enough mm-hmm. to follow up now that's a little bit different than someone buying a fireplace or or hiring a coach for their business but the but the idea is there that when someone follows up they are showing that I'm serious about this, and and I want you to know that I'm serious about it. The other thing is, is you know, I feel like I, I stumbled upon a, a CRM really by accident, out of necessity, that for years I was a quote-unquote natural salesperson, which meant I thought I was better than I was, and I wasn't organized in any way, shape, or form. So as, as good as I was, I was, I was probably leaving at least like 30 to 40% additional sales just on the table because I wasn't, I wasn't pursuing anything. And this is probably going back 10 years. All of a sudden, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I've, I've got to start keeping track of this. And so it just started with an Excel spreadsheet that morphed into using like a complex Google Sheets system. And and, and now I, I do have a, a CRM system that me and my team uses. But just the simple idea of getting a customer's information into, into a place where you can look at it and you can look at your latest notes. When did I follow up last? What did we talk about? That's all... Unbelievable, but to me, the most important thing is understanding the stages of the pipeline. Mm. And if that's new for anyone listening, you know, in the fireplace space, our pipeline's really simple. For most companies, it's probably going to be four steps. Step one, you receive a proposal. Step two, you schedule an appointment for someone to come to the house. Step three, you complete the appointment, which means that you finalize the bid. And then step four, the job's either won, lost, or it's put on hold. And for, for most businesses listening, that simple sales pipeline, I, I think it can transform the way that you approach sales, because now you're not always asking for the money. You're just looking at what's the next step in the process, right? So to understand, okay, this customer walking in the store, they're actually at stage zero. They don't even have an estimate. So my goal, the conversation is to get them an estimate written up. And now that we have the estimate written up, I want to you know overcome any any objection or fear that they have and... Our goal is to try to schedule an appointment for the house. I'm not asking for the money yet. This is, this is assuming that you do free and home visits. So now I go out to the house and now I'm going to finalize the bid. And now I'm going to ask for the money because the next step is that they buy. But just that simple organization of just breaking it down into steps and moving systematically through that, it's unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. And you know what What it also does
1: is it provides visibility on where everything is in your sales process. And so what that can do a couple of things. One is it can actually comfort you when you might be afraid of sales, like your your current sales status. Like you may be thinking, oh my gosh, like what's going to happen or do we have any money coming in next month or in the next quarter? Well, you can go to your CRM and you can literally see all of it all of the different opportunities in the pipeline. It can it can comfort you. On the other hand, it can also um, kick you in your butt when you look at it and you see that you've got four opportunities and you've got all these guys waiting around for, for work next week or your next month. Yeah. Like, man, we need to get out and sell. We need to make something happen. Like we need to go into triage mode here. Right. So it gives you visibility, but also one thing I've, I've seen is that having that visibility, it also gives you the opportunity to go in and, you know, especially if you have a sales manager, to go in and say, you know what, what's the low-hanging fruit right now in our business? You know what, there are 50 people that we've met with who have not made a decision yet. Like, what can we do today? What can what can we do this week to move the ball forward with even 20 of them or yeah. 10 of them? Like, what can we do? And so it allows you to t- take a step back and start, start using creativity to move people through the different steps of your process.
0: That's so good. One of the things that that we would do is I would always look at our team's CRM to determine what types of products people were interested in. And and I I'm, I'm a firm believer for retailers like every single month we have to have a promo. And you don't you don't it's not like a like a always available kind of thing. Like at the end of the month when it's over, it's over. So there's a real sense of like you need to do this or it's it's not going to come back. But we would base our promos based on the CRM right so like we would just take a look at what are people interested in the the jobs that are down towards the bottom of the pipeline we're going to run a promo on those next month it, again it's low hanging fruit it's that extra incentive that was needed and for us it it allowed us to always have a reason to buy and just navigate that pipeline wisely i think the 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 tough part is in in retail so often we, we spend all of our time in the showroom with just the people walking in the door. And those people are very important, but that's those are the people at stage zero of the pipeline, right? Mm-hmm. They don't have an estimate. Yep. And while it is important that we help them, as you were talking about back in, in your previous business, you had a million opportunities that were down towards the bottom of the pipeline. They've already trusted you to come to the house. They've already seen the price and they didn't say, oh my gosh, this is too much money, right? And What's easier to to work on closing them who you and them have already invested time and effort into the sales process or to start totally from scratch? And while both are important, we very often neglect the bottom part of our sales pipeline because it requires intentionality.
1: Hmm, That's genius. It reminded me recently I bought a new standing desk for my office and I went to their website and I put it in the cart, but then I kept it in the cart, closed the tab, and then just left that website. Well, uh, I think I'd already put my email in or something. And so later that evening uh, or the next day, I got an email from them letting me know that I still had it in the cart and they offered me 8% off of the standing desk if I went ahead and purchased it that day. And I thought that was genius because they knew that was the low-hanging fruit. I was interested enough to put it in my cart, but I had not purchased yet. Yeah. And you know what? The 8% tipped me over the edge and I went, through, went ahead and bought it that day, right? And I feel like it's a similar thing for, for you. Like when, when you well, well, what you're saying, like once you have visibility on who is close to buying, you can strategize to figure out the best way to get them to
0: go ahead and move forward. Oh, so good. You know, I, I want to talk about follow-up, but I wanna I want to take a detour first and, and come back to follow up. So in your role now, you know, you're somebody that is helping businesses get better, but that means that you have to sell yourself. Like, you know, you're you're running your own business and very often, especially in our industry, people are not comfortable with prospect of them actually being a salesperson. And this is actually true for many, even owners and managers is they're more comfortable technically, they're more comfortable, you know, with accounting behind the scenes, whatever it is. And there's almost either a fear or a shame sometimes in being perceived as a quote salesperson. So I'd love to know for you, like when you're having a meeting with a prospect that might be hiring you, they know what you're doing. They know that you're trying to sell them on your service How do you approach a meeting where someone knows that you're trying to sell them something and still come out looking honest, like you're in it for their best interest? You
1: know, I feel like the the answer is that you have to genuinely be coming from a place of wanting to help people. If you don't actually want to help people and to help them solve their problems, then you're you're not going to be a good salesperson. You're you're just not. You've got to want to help. At least you're you're not going to be a good salesperson long term. It's not sustainable. Like you can learn the tip, the tips and the tricks and the manipulative phrases and and sentences and and questions and all that stuff. But if your heart really isn't, this product or service is so amazing that everyone needs it, and like I just want as many people as possible to have their problem solved with my product or solution, like. Then you're not going to be successful. Selling is giving value and adding value to other people's lives, improving their lives. That is ultimately selling. And where people don't want to attach themselves as a salesperson is through all of the stereotypes of selling, you know, used car lots and you know, whatever it may be, like the sleazy, um, icky part of selling that we're all familiar with. But Selling is the super admirable thing. Like the world doesn't go around without salespeople. Like everyone is selling all the time, whether it's in your marriage or whether as a parent um, or as a friend, you're know, you selling your friends on going and grabbing coffee. You're selling your, your kids on obeying what you say. You're selling your wife on how to spend this extra $500. Like you're selling all the time, but we attach a sleaziness to it when it comes to business. But at the end of the day, like if we're out to just help people, then sales is amazing.
0: I love that. One of the things that I think about in, you know, my, my life has changed and that I'm, I'm no longer working as a retailer. Now I, I work with businesses. And for me, I feel like going into a potential sales conversation or even a negotiation, in general, one of the first things I usually try to say is like, hey, look, I'm just going to lay my cards on the table. This is what I'm trying to do. You know, whether it's, you know, I really think that we can help your company go from X to Y. And the way that we can do that is by having your sales team start doing this and this and this and this. And here's how we can come in. We've done this with other companies, right? And we talk through that. And then we'll say, and and it is going to cost you. There's going to be an investment of, you know, whatever it is, X amount of dollars or... But what I've found is that by showing just transparency and like, look, this is what I'm trying to do. I think that we can help you go from X to Y. I think that that is really awesome. Like, and with all this stuff, you can take it and try to manipulate people with it. But I'm just imagining like, you know, if someone's on the, the retail showroom floor of a fireplace store and you and you really talk to them to understand their problem and the, and the pain that they're experiencing, whether, you know, metaphorically or, or literally, and you can just say like, hey, Mrs. Smith, oh my gosh, I totally understand that this is what you're going through. I'm just going to lay my cards on the table. I think that we can help you go from X to Y by doing this. And and you're going to have to take what I say with a grain of salt because I, I, know, that, I know that I've got a dog in this fight, but I, we've helped a lot of other people. And I think that we can help you too. Do you have a couple minutes for me to explain this to you? To me, that kind of an approach is just really healthy. And I, I imagine just what you do with your clients as well, right? Totally. Yeah. I mean, one of the other
1: implementers, actually, she's the head coach for all of us implementers. And she sent out a video on Slack recently and it was phenomenal. But she talked about her journey and how when she got into EOS, she, you know, she had a background in sales and she could sell like crazy. And she started selling EOS and signing up clients, but then they started dropping off. You know, she got a bunch of A-holes like all this stuff and so she realized that she needed to get out of the convincing business and into the curiosity business. Mm. And I feel like in sales getting out of that I've got to convince them convince them over and over and over again and like beat them down with with information like getting super curious about their life, about their problems, about their preferences and when you ask enough great questions and you draw out their their frustrations, their desires, their dreams, like you're gonna instantly start recognizing how some of your products and solutions are gonna help them solve that and accomplish that. And then you know what, it's more of a conversation and you're saying, hey, you know, Mrs. Smith, like do you, after everything you said, like do you feel like this fireplace or one of these options would would make sense for you, right? And then they're selling themselves. Right,
0: you, you just you just ask great questions. We'll get back to our conversation with John Fox in just one second. Hey, if you're listening to this conversation and thinking, Okay, I love it, but I don't know where to start you have to take advantage of the FireTime Workshop. Now, you might be thinking, Tim, I've been listening, I know that registrations are closed to come in person, and you're right, but we have an online version of this course for people who can't make it in person. We're filming it, editing it, and we will be sending it out just a few weeks after our in-person event. This is available at a fraction of the cost, plus no travel expense, and you can watch it over over in the firetime workshop, we are going to be taking you through a sales module to help you build this out step by step. We'll even give you a demo CRM to start using for your team if you don't have one. To take advantage of the online FireTime Workshop, go to itsfiretime.com slash workshop. That's itsfiretime.com slash workshop. I'm telling you, don't sleep on this because now is the time to invest in your sales process for the future. You know, when a customer comes into a showroom, and this happens very often when I go secret shopping is... I'm being shown a product within, not even joking, like 30 seconds of walking into a showroom. And that might be okay if you're selling like Lay's you know, chips or something like that. But if you're selling a high-end product that could literally burn your house down and it requires a a remodel, it's probably gonna take more than 30 seconds to, to identify the right product. So I think that just as a best practice, we should do exactly what you just talked about. Like when someone comes in, we need to bake it into our process to literally sit down with them. Like, I mean, I'm like literally sit down, standing up does not count. Like you need to have a dedicated spot in your showroom, maybe even two or three spots where like you have chairs and like, you can literally just sit down and say, awesome, John, I understand that you're in here to potentially take a look at a fireplace. We have a lot of different options that are for really specific situations. Do you mind if I ask you just a couple questions so that I make sure I understand what's going to be best for you? Right. And no rational person is going to say no to that there. Anyone's going to sit down with you and like, we should ask really thoughtful questions because it's exactly like you said, I mean, I'm sure it's the same way as you go to work with a business as you start asking questions and, you know, you might come into a conversation thinking that this is their pain point. But as you start asking questions, you realize it's something totally different and you've got a solution that, that all of a sudden now it makes total sense. And, and it, it's not you forcing it or like convincing them. It, it's just like you said, like you're arousing curiosity and then people start to get excited about what their lives could look like and they start to sell themselves and it's, it's a win-win. Totally. And
1: you know, the open-ended questions are really good. Like imagining myself on a retail showroom floor, like someone walks in asking something like, What what inspired you to to come into our store today? Yeah. Like super open-ended. And then you're giving you're putting the well, not pressure, but you're giving them room to explain what's going on in their life that caused them to stop by your showroom. So open-ended questions are awesome. I remember with my tech company before you know i started asking have you ever worked with a with a audio video contracting company before and they would either say yes or no but if they said yes i would say tell me a little bit about your experience you know and just asking that open ended question would get them talking about their life and their experience and it allows you to have so much more insight on how to direct the conversation from there in a way that's going to really serve them and you know, ultimately see, is there even a fit here? Maybe they're looking for
0: something that isn't what you offer. And it's better to go ahead and learn that and figure it out sooner than later. I'm so glad you said that. And it almost goes back to when you you talked about sometimes, you know, you get the a-hole customers that are just wrong for your business. And and this this just goes back to the CRM why it's so important. So outside of tracking the pipeline stage of the job, one of my favorite things on a crm is a job rating so you know the the system i recommend is just track your your prospects on like an a b c or d scale right how, how good of a, of a prospect or of a job is this, right? Because not all jobs are, are created equal and, and even spend some time thinking about what is our company best at, right? If we're excellent at gas inserts, but we're rotten at pellet stoves, well, let's, let's just say that gas insert opportunities are A-level and pellet stoves are C-level, right? And, and this is the same thing in a, in a, coaching system. I mean, I mean, we do this literally as we sell Wi-Fi and other things to, to different partners that we work with is we literally track like how good of a fit do we think this is for their business. And that allows us to spend the time on the ones that we think are going to be the most benefit for them and for us. Whereas if you don't track that sort of thing, like you mentioned earlier, like just like the natural, I'm just John Fox or I'm just Tim Reed and it's just me and myself, you know, you end up, I feel like, kind of getting backed into a bunch of bad jobs because you have you have to say yes to everything because you're not looking at your opportunities thoroughly enough to actually pick and choose what's going to be the most beneficial for you and the client. But in in addition to that, I feel like doing this is, it's ultimately even best for the client. There's, there's times where like, if a client is a jerk to you or they're being just so demanding, it's actually in their best interest sometimes to say, you know, I don't think that we're going to be the best fit. And here's a recommendation of who I'd talk to.
1: Mm hmm.
0: Totally. Yeah. The right fit is such an important thing. You know, even in the
1: EOS community, like sometimes we run into a client who they need EOS, they want EOS, but, you know, I do the 90 minute with them and realize that it's just not a good fit. I actually just had this happen recently where they were asking me some questions. Um, that had a little bit more to do with my political views and some things like that, which kind of caught me off guard a little bit. I'm like, wait, what does this have to do with EOS? Yeah, but it seemed like for that client, because that was an important thing for them, that interviewing a couple of other EOS implementers was in their best interest, and that's okay. You know, there's there's plenty of business to go around, and you know, when you have an abundance mindset you really have no no problems with someone using the the competition or or not
0: doing it at all. Yeah. This is so true. And this and this kind of circles us back to follow up. So if we are being intentional and we're and we're ranking our job opportunities, right? Maybe it's an A, B, C level, maybe it's like a one star, two star, three star, whatever it is. If if it, ideally we want our business to be doing the most work with the best fit jobs, right? So ideally, we would only want to pick A-level jobs. So when it comes to us building a follow-up process by ranking our job opportunities, well, perfect, let's follow up with the A and the B-level stuff. And the C and the D-level, we're, we're going to just let that come in. And it's only going to be if things really start, like we really start to get desperate, that we might take a look at that. And I found most of the time, you never run out of A and B-level opportunities. Like you said, there's always work out there. And that takes me into a follow-up process like... What is what does a follow-up process look
1: like for you? It depends on where people are in the process. But for me, it's, you know, EOS it's very relational. It's it's just really about building trust and building relationships with people and I've learned that different industries and different products and services have different sales cycles. And so some sales cycles are like days or weeks. For me though, it could be months or even years. Like Just recently, I was having a conversation with someone that the conversation started two years ago, but now they're primed and ready for a follow-up conversation. But it was because I set activities to once a quarter, just check in with them and see how things are going or schedule coffee or send them a book that I thought they might be interested in learning about, right? Just just continuing to follow up and continuing to add value as best as I can. And so for me, that's the way it looks. But you know, when you have a business that has a higher number of prospects, you might have hundreds or thousands a month or whatever it may be, you can achieve the same thing with email funnel campaigns, right? Yep. Having, you know, your five or six to 10 emails and you put their email in there and it continues to add value. Um, and stay in front of that client on an automated level without you having to do it. So there's lots of ways of staying in front of the client afterwards. It just depends on the industry you're in.
0: Yeah. You know, it's so funny you talk about the email. I, I'm such a believer in email marketing and and we use that in the early days of Wi-Fi. And people would say like, oh like every customer is different. Like I can't use an automated campaign. They're gonna, you know, think it's spammy and stuff. And we just didn't experience that. We we would use follow-up campaigns after a customer got an estimate to move them into an in-home visit. And it, I mean, it was unbelievable how it worked. And you don't get all of them, but man, you get a lot more than if you didn't do anything. And I like what you said about sales cycle too. So for a retail sales rep listening to this, it's probably a short sales cycle. In general, people buy a fireplace usually within their first two to three weeks on the market. There, there's... There's, a, there's definitely nuance to that number because there are projects that drag out, but it's a much quicker sales cycle because usually people have a need, my gas fireplace broke, winter's coming, right? So we only have so much time to do this. And if it doesn't happen in those two to three weeks, it either never happens or it could be a year or two before they think about it again. So you got to strike while the iron's hot. And and I would say for anybody who's listening you know, number one, we absolutely need to be writing up estimates in the showroom so that we can present the the pricing right there and, and be able to have that conversation face to face. And now we would capture contact information, but we should be calling people honestly within like four or five days and, and even helping set the expectations. So if you, when someone leaves the showroom, just saying, when should I follow up with you and let the customer tell you, and then actually do it. But it's, it's not uncommon sometimes to follow up even every two to three days, as long as you're giving value, as long as the customer is either asking for that or giving you permission. The other thing that I'm thinking about though, is that let's say that you sell to a builder. Well, like you said, John, that could be a two year sales cycle. If you have a builder that does, you know, 250 homes a year in your community, that's a major thing to win. And that's going to take time. They don't just switch vendors, you know, on a, on a whim. So like you said, sending him a book every quarter, you know, stopping by their job sites, just little things that you can do to be following up, not just saying, Hey, have you thought about switching vendors? Hey, I've got a great deal this month. Like actually putting an effort to give value is incredibly important. Same thing for, for sales reps. I think for many sales reps in our industry, there are a lot of prime dealers that could be selling your products, but it's not going to happen through you just coming in and saying, well, here's the latest thing that we, that we got. I got this great, you know, 5% off you know, your normal multiplier this month, It's it's got to be you coming in really probably for the long haul and showing that you are a partner to actually give value and, and help them grow their business. So whether it's a sales cycle that is three weeks and you have to follow up a lot more frequently or two years and it's more infrequent, either way, there needs to be like a dedicated rhythm, right? You got to carve it out, don't you?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And I like what
1: you said about the the builders because we experienced that with my previous company. Um, in the AV world. And we, we got to the point where we realized that we actually had two different clients. We have one client who's the one who writes the check for the products and services that are going in their home. We have another client who's referring us on their behalf and introducing us to their clients. And we had to treat them with two completely different strategies. And like you said, one the strategy that we used for the homeowner, like what they needed, what they needed to hear, what they needed to know, the follow up process, the sales cycle, was totally different than the builders and remodelers and architects and interior designers and all that. For those people, it was it was a long term relationship. It was all about staying top of mind and adding value and and showing up on time and doing what you say. Like if you just you know send a text to them once a month and say hey, how, how are things going? Anything I can do to serve you right now, right? Even if they say no, like you're just staying in front of them all the time, showing them that you're there to help. And that's a totally different strategy. So I think when you compartmentalize in your mind that they're really two different clients that are both going to make you money if you serve
0: them well, um, and that they just deserve different strategies. It's so true. Now, every salesperson, especially initially, fights the fear of thinking that they're bugging people when they follow up, what would you say to that? I would say that sometimes you are
1: and that's okay. Sometimes you're not, but at the end of the day, you know, I heard this on uh, Robert, whatever his last name is on Shark Tank. (laughs) I remember one time he was talking to one of the companies that he invested in and they were struggling with this too. And he said, he said, you don't need more friends. You need more clients. And at the end of the day, The the fear of bothering someone is coming from a place of being afraid that they're not going to like you. And when you're a business owner and an entrepreneur, you have to get past that fear because you don't need more friends. You need more business, you need more money, you need more profit in order to continue to grow to serve and help more people. If they're bothered, then they can say, Stop bothering me and then do it. But until they until they tell you no, like just assume that they're okay with you following up.
0: It's a, it's just a simple mindset shift. I I totally agree. You know, they will. Like people have no problem letting you know when they're bothered with you. And frankly, it it in all of my stories of follow up, it has very very rarely happened to me that someone has actually said, "Please stop calling me." In general, you know, they'll just say, "Oh, you know what? I bought somewhere else," or, "You know, we just put the project on hold and we're not going to do anything for a few years." Right? But for us to just give up on it, I mean, everyone's got these stories of, you know, magic clients that just show up at the retail store just ready to buy. And, you know, they were at your competitor a week earlier and they show up with the competitor's bid and they buy from you. Well, part of that, it might be how good you are. But it might just be that like, they actually were more serious than your competitor thought. And because your competitor never followed up with them, they show up at your store. And, and I know that people listening are going to say, yes, that happens to me. I, I guarantee, unless you have an intentional follow-up process, people are leaking through your doors. And so you got to, you got to build it. And they'll let you know if the, if a customer says I'm done or please don't follow up with me. Perfect. Just check them off the list. It's no, you know, no harm, no foul.
1: Yep, Exactly. But I mean, the, the return though,
0: I mean, the, the possible
1: reward compared to the risk of, of bothering someone is so much greater. I I remember that there was a builder that I was following up with a lot and he was one of the the main high-end custom builders here in Lexington. And um, he kept telling me that, you know, one of our competitors was the the people that they used for all their AV and home technology and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, that's fine. So I just continue to stay in front of him and and follow up with him and send him emails. Most of the time he would never respond ever, you know? what? And so you can, you can, um, have one narrative of that that says they don't care. They're bothered. They hate me or another narrative that just says they're busy and they're not ready to respond to me yet. So you get to choose the meaning that you put on their lack of response. So I just kept going and you know what, one day, he called back because he said, I'm I'm ticked off at competitor X, Y, and Z, and I need you to come look at a project, right? So it was all just about the right timing. But you know what? If I had not stayed, uh, if I hadn't kept following up with him, I would not have been in that top two people that he thought of the call.
0: Yeah, so true. And the cool thing with follow-up too, and, and I think this is true on obviously on a situation like that when you're following up for that long, you probably are slowly bit by bit winning some kind of context of relationship, but you can actually do the same thing even, even in a shorter sales cycle. But, but as you follow up, you do start to gain relationship. And this is just a, it's just a funny story. This literally happened to me just recently where there was, there was a a product that, that I sell that I thought was a great fit for this company. I had a couple of really good conversations with the the decision maker, and this person is someone that I really respect, and and I consider them to be a friend, and, and you know, it seemed like it was going to be a great fit, but in all my follow-ups after the call, I was just getting ghosted, and it was again and again and again with no response, and and so finally what I did is I just sent this person a text, and I just said, look, I'm invoicing you for this much money, and there's nothing you can do about it, you have to have this, and so it's just coming. And literally, I got a response right back that just said "lol, okay." And you know, now that was a unique situation. It was a closer relationship, so I could do that. But things like that, you start to earn the right to say as you follow up. Like I had this happen in a in a previous company years and years ago, where a, a customer was in the showroom. They'd been talking with the salesperson for a long time. They'd been in, into the store two or three times, I believe, and they'd talked for the better part of an hour and a half. And, and finally, the salesperson just looked at him and he goes, so are we going to write this up or what? And the people looked at each other and they said, yeah, we are. Now, you you can't do that if you haven't run, won some kind of relationship equity. And the way that you do that is through follow-up.
1: Yeah. And you know, one little trick that I've been taught by a sales coach that I worked with for a while was especially in email follow-up to all, always have a subject that is a question. So never say just checking in or whatever it is, like have a question that you ask because a question, someone is forced to stop and process the question, whereas a statement, they literally, there's no need for them to process it. So it's easy for them to just delete it or whatever, because they're like, oh, they're just checking in, who cares? Right, but if they ask me a question, then it's begging a response. And so, always have a question. And I read the book uh, "Never Split the Difference." Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, which is a great negotiation yeah. book. And he he gave an example of a subject line when you are just really having trouble getting someone to respond. He said to say, "Have you given up on this project?" Yeah, right, because they have to stop and think about your question. And no one ever wants to admit that they've given up on anything. So I've actually used that multiple times on projects when following up. And you know, even if they say no, you at least get a response from them to,
0: to see where they are. So you stop wondering. Yeah, it's terrific. John, I want to close this interview by talking about a sales process. And, and we've talked a decent amount on the podcast before about that. But I'd be remiss if, if we didn't end it this way. Why is having a sales process so important for any business? Well, one, if you don't dictate the process, they will.
1: They just will. They, they, will, they will drag you along. They will tell you how the process is going to go, how the meeting's going to go, what you're going to talk about, when you're going to talk about it, who's going to be there, who's not going to be there. They will, they will give, they will dictate the entire process if you let them. But when you confidently come in as a salesperson and you say, you know, first, we're going to do this. Then we're going to do this. This is what we're going to talk about. This is how long it's going to take. Here are the things that I'm going to need to know. Here's who needs to be at this next meeting. When you have all of those things ironed out, one, again, it shows professionalism. Two, they actually feel more comforted and safe because they know what's coming and they know that you're in control of the situation. And three, you're able to then go and insert the right questions at the right time. When am I giving them pricing? When am I asking this question? When am I, When am I getting this thing out and showing them this? Like you're able to actually systemize and use strategy in your sales process. But when you just swing it and they're in control, there's literally nothing you can do but hope.
0: Yeah, it's so good. You know, always knowing what's next, like you said, it, it shows confidence and it shows professionalism you know, hey, Mrs. Smith, this is the way that all of our jobs work. Step one, we'd like to ask you some questions just to learn about your project and make sure that we understand it. Step two, we're going to walk through the showroom. And we're going to show you the fireplaces that could specifically work. And step three, before you leave today, we're going to write you up an estimate so you understand what that project's going to cost. Like, exactly, it's so clear versus, you know, Mrs. Smith saying, oh, what's this? And because you didn't set the tone, you don't get to ask any questions because you're already now looking at a product. And now you're backpedaling because, wait a minute, do you have this in your house? Oh, no, you don't. Okay, well, we actually want to go over here. Wait a minute, but but I liked this one. Oh, yeah, I know, but, but that's not going to work. Now we have to come over here. There's so much friction that happens when we don't have a sales process as opposed to just like step by step by step laying it out. And and that's true, you know, in, in your world, whether you're selling your own services as a, as a business coach or whether you're you know, on on the floor selling retail fireplaces, I, I love that. Yeah, that's awesome.
1: I was gonna say. So, what do you what do you feel like are the characteristics that make up a good salesperson?
0: Oh man, gosh, you're putting me on the spot. You know, I think it is being able to face your own fear. I think that I think that that facing your own fear requires a couple things. I think that it's tough to face your own fear without humility, because if you can't admit you're afraid. Then you're probably not very humble. So being able to admit I am afraid of this, I think that that shows humility. But not stopping there, actually saying I am afraid of this, but this is what I'm going to do to to overcome it. Um, I think that I think that that plus, ironically, this is kind of a of a weird one, but I would say people who are good writers tend to be some of the best salespeople that I know. And those are kind I, I, of, you're, you're catching me off guard, but those are two things. Like if you can look fear in the face, and the reason I say if you're a writer, because to be a good writer, you have to organize your thoughts. Okay, I'm going to write, you know, we we're talking, you write. You wrote a couple articles for the Firetime Magazine. To write an article, you have to say, okay, here's the, here's the, the main idea I want it to be about. And in this first section, I'm thinking about making this point and that's going to lead to the second section, which is this point, the third section, which is this point point, then I'll put a conclusion on that addresses the whole thing. When you can do that, your mind is organized enough to be able to follow a path, not just be willy-nilly, we're just driving wherever the road's going to take us. So to have somebody that even if they aren't that great at talking to people, even if they've never had sales experience before, if they are... Humble enough to admit when they're afraid, and are able to look that fear in the face and have an organized mind in the way that they communicate. I think that that's what makes a good salesperson.
1: What would you say? Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think that someone who knows how to ask great questions, someone who's someone who's humble, and you know, I think that going back to the topic of this conversation, someone who's willing to follow a process. One thing I've learned is that most of the time, people associate. Great salespeople with extroverts, but sometimes extroverts are more likely to rely and depend on their personality to to win sales rather than the system to win sales. And so I've seen a lot of introverts who are more willing to just follow the steps are a little bit more scientific, analytical. Like sometimes those people make. Fantastic salespeople, because they understand the process, they believe in it, and they follow it, and they they don't rely. You know, it, it's the whole e myth, like letting the systems run the business and the people run the systems, rather than being 100% people dependent. And extroverts oftentimes are the people who just want to go in there and just wing it and and use their personality. So, um, people who follow a process, people are humble. People who ask questions. And I think people who just really, really genuinely care about people. When you genuinely care about connecting with people and helping solve their problems, like people are going to trust you. And you know the
0: saying, like people do business with people they like, know and trust. Dude, it's so funny. As you're saying that, I'm, I'm thinking about your your own quote from earlier when you talked about you have to come from a place of wanting to help. That's what you just said. And I guess if to boil everything down, that is the foundation. You have to want to help somebody. If, if unless you want to help, you, you don't have it and everything else can be, can be taught. It's funny in, in, in that both in my answer and in your answer, neither one of us said, oh, someone that's got the most industry knowledge or someone that's the smartest or someone that's the most outgoing and, and has the gift of gab and loves talking to people. I've always heard like, you know, different people say, oh, there'd be a great salesman. They just love to talk to people, you know? Um, yeah. I think it, I think it has to come from wanting to help John. This has been Unbelievable. I know people are going to get a ton of value out of it. And we're going to have to figure out a way to keep this conversation going. But if someone listening, if they want to get the John Fox sales experience and literally be <laughs> sold to by you to help their business, how is it they can contact you?
1: Yeah. So you can you can look me up on EOSworldwide.com forward slash J-O-N-FOX. It's my little micro site with EOS. Um, you can also, you know, look me up on LinkedIn, Facebook.
0: Uh, Again, it's J-O-N-F-O-X and reach out to me there. Amazing. And we'll link to that in the show notes. John, this has been awesome. Thanks a ton for giving us value. Yeah, thank you, Tim. It was awesome. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with John Fox. I got a ton of value out of it, even just as I'm in the conversation with him. There's things that I'm learning and ideas that I'm processing that he really just made me start spinning the wheels on. Now, as we round out, a couple of things to think about you know the things the things we discussed of of documenting your customers building a rhythm of follow up you know those are those are absolute essentials to the sales process many team members are just afraid they think that the customer is going to to hate them or think that they're bugging them or yell at them and there's this fear complex it's just not true if you care about your customer and build a relationship with them Follow-up is not an inconvenience. At the very worst, they're going to tell you, hey, I'm not interested, or I went a different direction, thanks for touching base with me. I mean, really, if you build a relationship with your customers, that's the worst they're going to say. But most of the time, they're going to say, you know, yeah, we're still thinking about it, but XYZ came up. And you can jump in and say, okay, I, I totally understand that. When would be a good time for me to call to start talking about the project again? And you can continue it from there. You know, at at its core, and, and I love that John hit this as we got into the meat of the interview, sales is about service. You know, he is actively looking to give value to his clients, whether they work with him or not. He's trying to give them value. When they sit down for an initial consultation, I mean, if you're listening to this, you should just call him for an initial consultation because... He's going to sit down and talk to you, ask you questions about your business, and give you insight that is probably going to help you quite a bit, even if you don't end up working together. And this is something that, as, as me and Grant have, have worked with companies as well, that we always try to think about. When, when we're talking with someone initially, or we're scheduling a, a Zoom call before we officially start working together, we're always thinking, how can we make them walk away thinking, I got the better end of this conversation? I got the better end of this deal, right? When we actually move forward in like a, an actual agreement together to start working or consulting or, or coming out to a business, our goal is that they walk away thinking, man, I, I I can't believe that I got this out of it and all I had to pay was X amount of dollars, right? When you look at sales as service, it really changes everything. When you start thinking, how can I give the clients so much that they walk away feeling like they got the better end of the deal, especially if we don't work together. I mean, I think that that spirit of generosity is so key in the sales process and it will lead towards future opportunities. You know, this just happened to me, man, just a week ago or so, but I got a call from a former team member of mine and he had been out of the industry for about a year and a half He got hired at another retailer, and it sounds like it's a really good opportunity for him. And he said that when he came in, he didn't realize what he knew. On his first or second day, he started organizing his desktop folders based on different pipeline stages and job types and for different customers. And he started building a basic CRM system just in a spreadsheet. And what he was telling me, he called me and he was like, Tim, I had I had no idea how important this stuff was at the time that we were talking about it back when I worked for you. But this was everything. Apparently, the owner of the business came in and just couldn't believe it. And, and, and my friend was just like, I mean, how do you not do this? Like, isn't this just how you organize jobs? Isn't this just how you organize customers? But the point is that if, if you can start doing this, you will transform your business. I mean, you really, really will. And it doesn't take a lot to start, you know. I, I think a lot about sales because it's, you know, it's it's what I do. And so often we make mistakes because we don't think about it from the other side of the table. We don't think about it from their perspective. If, if you were going to start a remodel project in your house and you invested a bunch of time researching fireplaces, you drove and went to two different stores. You spent an hour and a half at each one. You come home and you're totally confused. Maybe your spouse is kind of on you because this has been your pet project, but you're kind of letting it slip through the cracks and, you know, you don't know what to do. Imagine what a relief it is when someone that you know and trust from one of those stores calls you to check in, ask how you're doing and what they can do to help you move ahead. I mean, that's a service. That takes a sales process. That takes a team member who understands where the client is in the sales pipeline. They're organized enough to call them when they need to. We can go on and on about this, but building these basics of a sales process will absolutely transform your company. And I think that there's some really good principles in this conversation that you can listen to with your team and map out what's going to be right for you. Now, if this podcast has been a blessing for you and you want to support it financially, you can do that by going to the website patreon.com/itsfiretime. That's p a t r e o n.com/itsfiretime. You know, this is the time of year when you can make that investment. What would it look like for you right now to take one of these principles? I mean, I'm just going to tell you, if you don't use a CRM system yet, start using a CRM if you have questions, you can email me and I'd be happy to help you. But if you can just start documenting your customers and every single day have your team update notes, make phone calls, and track pipeline stages, it'll change everything. So my hope for you this week is that you can go out and start to execute. Can't wait to talk to you again. We'll see you very soon. Thank you for listening to the FireTime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website firetime.com